It's hot outside, isn't it? I love the heat. I love the snow. I love the cold. I love the heat. I'm, it's just, we live in Winnipeg. You've got to embrace it. And uh, it is just a whole lot of fun. Just to give you a heads up, um, Sharon and I will be leaving um, our flight to Moscow. Uh, it's about uh, 5 o'clock today. So we'd cover your prayers that everything goes well as uh, uh, we do some teaching uh, with the Russian Assemblies of God and the Ukrainian Assemblies of God uh, at their general conference in uh, Moscow. And we'll be there for... Uh, three, three full days of teaching, and then we're off to one of their rehab centers celebrating 20, anniversary, 20 years of uh, rehabilitation and just seeing how people get saved. Uh, they get clean off their addictions, and then they actually end up, many of them go plant churches. So it's just a real exciting time, and we covet your prayers. And uh, you can probably follow us a little bit on social media. We'll see how things are going on that way, and it'll be a whole lot of fun. So... As a community, keep us in prayer. If you still want to contribute and make some donations, I know some people have, uh, to this whole aspect. This is one of our churches. We actually monthly give to this church. It's one of our mission churches uh, around the world. And, of course, the other things are golf tournament. I can't be more emphatic. The, uh, September 12th, that Wednesday, how many people were, were looking. We, we uh, set a goal for 100 golfers. And we would love 100 golfers. If you can't do that and you can see that there's some sponsors or sponsorships, maybe it's the company you're working for, you're going to be getting a uh, uh, handout as you leave today that will bring you up to speed and uh, just the importance of it. Or you can go to Soul Sanctuary slash golf and read up on there. And uh, it's, it's just a great way to change the world and to make a difference. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. Let's pray. So God, as we study your teachings, uh, I ask that for all of us who are listening, that we'd be open to allowing Jesus to just simply reach down, reach down in a supernatural way, grab a hold of our hearts, and that we would walk out of here different than when we walked in. I ask that we would deal honestly to what's in our hearts and that your spirit would clean us out of all the junk that we've accumulated this week and that we would walk in wholeness and health with you. In Jesus' name, all the disciples said, amen. Did I leave my cup of water beside you there, Ken? Nope, it's here on the floor. Honey, can you just give that to me, please? Yep. Thank you. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's funny. I'm drinking from this, but not from that. Eh? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, we've outlined uh, our vision these last uh, few weeks, and we're breaking it down so that as a church, we should be able to know how to communicate what our vision is to people around us. And I've tried my best to make it simple and easy to remember. So here's your test. How many points are there to our vision? Four. Fabulous. What's the first one? No God. Second one? No freedom. Third one? Know your purpose. Fourth one? Make a difference. And then in the next two weeks, you'll hear more about know your purpose and make a difference. Uh, last week, we looked at what it means to know God. This week, we're going to look at what it means to know freedom. And freedom is an interesting word in Scripture because it comes uh, at us with two applications. The first is that uh, as believers, we have freedom in Christ. And the second application is also freedom from sin. 
Uh, and I, what I want to do is I want us to go back to John chapter 8. And I preached on this years ago. But I want us to jump into John chapter 8 so you can open your Bibles there. And Jesus is speaking to some believers. And this is what he says. He says, if you hold on to my teachings, and I think this is a critical component. If you hold on to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that's, that, that's interesting because uh, he's... He is interested uh, in connecting people with truth and freedom. He, he makes a connection between truth and freedom. And he wants his people to understand the, the relationship between the two. And as he explains, it's not until we have truth that we will truly experience what, what freedom is. The question, though, is what is truth? And that's a very telling question. Um, because I can ask you this, can you, discern, can you discern the difference between truth and a lie? Fake news. I don't know. It's, it's there. Because we live in a world that is so convoluted when it comes to understanding and grasping what truth is. And there are all kinds of excuses for not following the truth of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, maybe you've heard him. I have. I can't follow Jesus exclusively because there are good people that believe other things that, and they follow that. Or I can't follow Jesus because that's not what my family believes. Or I can't follow Jesus, you know, why? Because we sincerely believe that we're all going to go to the same place when we die. Um, or I can't follow because, uh, you know, I don't believe that, you know, God would allow something up objectionable like a hell to exist or perhaps you've heard this one well that may be true for you but it's not true for me that's my personal favorite because the very nature of truth is something that has to be true all the time for all people and we live in a day and age that man instead of God has become the standard so man is the standard of dictating what truth is and as a result we can no longer get a grip on what truth is, but we can know the great freedom that comes in knowing the truth according to Jesus. Uh, look at it like this. Truth is seeing through all the illusions, getting past the facades, and getting down to the heart of the matter, the essentials that, that, which, um, that which serve as the basis of reality. It's seeing through everything and getting right down to the basics of reality. That becomes truth. We're conf uh, confronted with illusion every day. This is the world that we live in. And all one has to do is watch a commercial to find out, you know, we're told that we deserve so much more than what we're getting. We're not getting all that we have coming to us. You deserve it. You need it. You want it. You must have it. You can do anything you want. You, th this is the illusion that our culture tells us. And they're all lies. A while ago, we, Sharon and I, we were... Uh, out in BC, and we went to this mall out in Tawasson. And uh, if you follow me on social media, you'll know that this was my escapade. I have to keep myself entertained when I go shopping with my wife. I try to hold her hand because that is fiscal responsibility, but I usually lose. And she is off, and we go. And so I entertain myself to which she gets a little bit uptight. But my entertainment was hashtag mall of lies. And what I did was I began to take pictures of everything, all the advertising, and looking at all, you know, the, 
this is a free gift if you buy. It's not free. So, you know, hashtag mall of lies and I call out a store or whatever. But that would be, that's how my mind works when I go to these areas of consumerism. And it drives me nuts because our society is saying we need this and we all have to be careful because following the illusion doesn't set us free. It actually binds us. So the question is, well, can we really experience true freedom? John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to his Jewish believers. They were new in the faith. They're being discipled. And he begins by telling them that if you continue to hold on to my teachings and keep on obeying them, critical words here, then you're really one of our, my disciples. And you will know the truth if you hold on to my teachings, right? You will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. The, the Message Bible clarifies it a little bit more. I like it. it says this. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. I like that. For sure. But then you will experience for yourself the truth, and the truth will free you. And the fact that this is spoken to believers in the context that we read in John chapter 8 is incredibly important because many people use this as a verse for evangelism. And, and again, it does have application. I don't have a problem with the application to non-believers. But this is not primarily what Jesus has in mind. He is speaking to the Jewish believers in the crowd. We need to understand that context. So it's not just good enough to believe that Jesus is the Messiah or even to make a public confession of one's faith in Jesus. No. Jesus intends for people to become his disciples. And to do this, they must hold on to his teachings. Are you tracking with me? Okay, I don't hear crickets. That's awesome. So what does it mean then to hold on to his teachings? Because it's not explained here because his adversaries interrupt him. The matter gets addressed later on in the book, and you can read on ahead for that. But for now, we have to be content with the statement of Jesus that those who hold on to his teachings are truly his disciples. And by holding on to them, they will come to know that truth, and the truth will set you free. Right. So... Many in our society are clueless as to what freedom is. Many think that freedom means that they are free to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Millions of unborn babies are killed each year, and that's called freedom of choice. Porn fills magazine racks and movie screens, and they call that freedom of speech. Many believe that freedom means that they are free to do whatever they want. You could do drugs. You can have sex with whomever, wherever you want. Others think that freedom means that, you know, whatever it takes to get ahead, that's my freedom. I can do that in my country. And you can add more to the list, but tragically or ironically, the things that are supposed to be the evidence of their freedom have really enslaved people. Now, many who get involved in drug use, excessive drinking, you know, the parting, find themselves enslaved to addiction. And there's subsequent consequences to things like that. Uh, it, it could include prison. It could include losing your home, losing your family. Um, uh, even death. You know, unrestricted sex at any time, any place with anyone has led to, to AIDS. Obviously, other types of STIs, unplanned pregnancies. It can destroy families, break hearts from being used. The list goes on. So things that we think as freedom are not, maybe not necessarily free. Freedom is one of the highest virtues that we hold on to, but we have no idea what freedom is. Uh, we have no concept 
of what freedom is as the scriptures teach it. We tend to think that freedom is, you know, uh, uh, freedom from freedom from something rather than the concept of freedom to. And so Jesus is going to tell us then that two things have to happen, that God will make us free from one thing so that we are free to something else. But those listening don't like what Jesus is saying. And so they answered him and they said this, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Interesting point that these Jewish guys who said, and look what they said, we've never been slaves of anyone. At this point, Jesus' enemies are becoming unglued when they hear what he has to say. And the, the reasoning here is absolutely fascinating because they're trying to make an argument from a point of history. And it's interesting, like I said, you know, we've never been anybody's slave. But that action has actually far from ever been convincing because they have forgotten their history. Because even at the present moment there, the Jews may not be slaves per se, but the Romans are an occupying force in Israel. And so they're not slaves in the technical sense of the word, but they're definitely not free either. And as you read the Bible, you'll see that the Jews have been enslaved numerous times in Egypt, in Babylonian captivity, uh, Assyrian captivity. And even now, like I said, they're under the Roman Empire. And so these guys, these critics of Jesus, are willing to rewrite history to maintain their claim that they've never been slaves to anybody. And I like what Jesus does. And he replies, he says, look, I tell you, I tell you the truth. Interesting, right? I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I know you're Abraham descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. He's calling them out. You're ready to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. In other words, you can't handle what I'm throwing at you. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, and Abraham didn't do no such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Interesting. They go on. They're now, they're choked. I like this statement. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. Only the father we have, the only father we have is God himself. So you you hear what they're throwing at Jesus. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. What is my language? Like, why, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I have to say. Very interesting stuff. Unable to hear. They're having a dialogue, having a conversation, but they're not listening. You belong to your father. I love Jesus. You belong to your father, the devil. That's just, it's just beautiful. And you want to carry out your father's desires. In other words, you want to kill me. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him, right? The devil is the father of all lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar, the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now he's challenging these guys. I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now it is getting as ugly as it can get in this story. 
And they improve, actually, on their ugliness as we get on later in the chapter. However, these guys are going, well, since the subject of fathers has come up, Jesus, let me remind you that you're a bastard child. That's what they're saying to him, as harsh as it is. They're in his face. And it is us. We are the sons of God and not you. They are drawing a line. The war is on. And Jesus is not taken back. He's not flustered by this accusation because it's not true. But once again, their incorrect understanding of of Jesus' most unusual birth is given as grounds for their rejection of his claim to be the Messiah. You're not born of a virgin. No, 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 no. You're a bastard child. You don't have a father. Your mom's a whore. Basically, is what, that's exactly what they're saying there. Powerful words, strong words. And who are they talking to? The Son of God. And, and you know who one's father is by his conduct as a son. A son acts like his father. And so you know that the son will imitate the father. So Jesus is saying, look, God is my father. I'm imitating him. The devil's your father. You're imitating him. And so he's drawing the line clearly. The war is on. And, he, and like I said, he concludes, you people, you're the, from the, your father, the devil. And when he says those words to, to these scribes and Pharisees, it's like a slap to their face. They think they have the inside track with God. They think that they are the sons of God as men can be. Now Jesus tells them, like I said, you guys are sons of the devil. The Jews answered him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Okay, now they're pulling it all out for them. And again, that's a nasty response. He says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he's a judge. Now remember, Jesus is doing all this stuff, healing and, 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 and all this stuff is going on and they're not embracing it. But he still reaches out to these guys. He still reaches out to his enemies and, and, and tells them the saving truth. In John 8, 51, it says, I tell you the truth, if anybody keeps my word, he'll never see death. So in spite of all the stuff that they're launching at him, he still loves them and wants them to experience salvation, wants them to become believers, followers, disciples, to hold on to his teachings. And at this point, then the Jews, they exclaimed, according to Scripture, it says, now we know that you are (laughs) demon-possessed. You just proved it, buddy. You're now. We know it. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, that you say if anybody keeps your word, he'll never taste death. So they're challenging him what he has to say. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They say, I love this. Who do you think you are? So you got to imagine the tension that's going on here. And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, from whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be like a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. In other words, Jesus is a good Jew. He he kept his father's words. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. What are you talking about? What do you mean Abraham saw? How do you know? You're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Are you out of your mind? Jesus goes, I tell you the truth. Notice how many times he says this. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Okay. He just now threw a hand grenade in the midst of this conversation. Because scripture says at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and slipped away from the temple grounds. 
interesting. Like it just blows up. He, it got to the point that these guys walked around, okay, we're going to, and, and they all come with some stones and they're looking for Jesus and, and Jesus sort of ducked out. So he makes his statement and he ducks out. They had all they can take from him. Who does he think he is? And, and you can almost imagine yourself being there and seeing these guys' faces just turn a deep red with anger. And they're furious. And they have things a little mixed up. And they, uh, but you still can't miss the essence of what Jesus is claiming in this passage, that he's eternal. And not only does he speak of living on forever, he also speaks of being in the distant past. And, you know, has Jesus seen Abraham? You know, is basically the question they're asking. They're not prepared for the answer that he, they give, or he gives. And again, I tell you the truth, he says, before Abraham came into existence, I am. And so there's very little doubt, hear me very clearly, that Jesus means to identify himself as God here. And so it was clear to everyone that they were about to stone him for blasphemy. He is making that identification. Jesus Christ claimed to be God, proved himself God, and said that unless you receive him as God, that you would die in your sins. That's the message that Jesus is making here. But what does that have to do with freedom? Let me tell you. As dull of hearing and understanding as the religious leaders were, they, they could not miss the interpretation of these words that Jesus claiming to be God as boldly and emphatically as it can be done they don't even take time to you know get him arrested and have a sentence formally charged on him no they pronounce a death sentence on him right there and then they spontaneously take up stones to hit him on the spot and they would have done it except for it wasn't his time and so he hides himself he literally leaves the temple he's done at that moment He's sharing what it means to be a follower of his, but there's no such thing as minimal followers. It's easy enough to be attracted. It's a whole nother thing for us to stick with it. And, and what is he saying? Like, how do we do it? How does one do it? How do we follow Jesus? We follow by holding on to his teachings. And it's done by continually studying scripture. We study it. You open it, you read it, you let it sit, you go over it, you don't understand it, you ask questions, you get d deeper. And not only do we just study it, we, and not only do we just hear it, but we need to obey it. We need to live it out. We need to act it out. We need to open ourselves up to its truth. And when we do this, when we study the scriptures, when we dive in, when we begin to understand, and we open ourselves up to the truth, the truth is then what will set us free. Well, how? When the scriptures take root, we are then able to start to discern between truth and lies. You see, there's a connection with being a follower and knowing the truth. And when we truly follow Jesus, we, get, we gain a true and a real understanding of who God is. We begin to understand what is right and wrong. We begin to understand what is true and what is false. And we discover the truth, honestly, about our own nature. We also understand the nature of who God is. And, and it's interesting, a recent study reported about 55% of Canadians hadn't engaged in the scriptures at all. In other words, 55% of Canada has never even cracked open the Bible, don't understand what the Bible is or anything like that. And the irony is, is that if you go to university and you begin to study English literature, half the references that you study in university in the class refer to the Bible. And yet our universities don't even encourage people to read it as a piece of literature. 
Um, one literary critic, uh, Canadian literary critic by the name of Northrop Fry, found this to be very true. As a junior instructor, he had difficulty getting his class to understand what was going on when he went through John Milton's Paradise Lost. Why? Because of all the uh, so many biblical allusions that are in this piece of literary grandeur that are lost on people who have never cracked open a Bible. And I like what he said. He said, how do you expect to teach Paradise Lost to people who don't know the difference between a Philistine and a Pharisee? And so for me, I am personally convinced that the scriptures people, this thing that we call the Bible, that we download onto our phone, and Jesus are the key to living a full and free life. Now, we need to understand and and, and actually face the truth then about ourselves. When Jesus started talking about freedom, these Jewish leaders immediately began to take issue. And as far as they were concerned, they were already the children of Abraham. They were free. And as we look through the annals of time, we, yeah, again, I come back and I go, what were these guys thinking? Because like it or not, they were, they were, no, no, you're still subject to Roman occupation. And the truth of sin is, is that, uh, the truth about sin in our lives is that, we're gra- that we are gradually gathered in by what I would say is an, an invisible net, so to speak, that appears that cannot be broken. And sin is very tricky at first because we're unaware of even our own bondage. We think we're free. We, we really do. But we're not free. We're a slave. We have no rights. We have no security. You know, when we're in bondage, we excel at minimizing our enslavement. It's no big deal. It's not a big deal. We just think a few more adjustments and everything will be all right. But that's not true. And this is why I believe that some people don't want to change because A known bondage is more comfortable than an unknown freedom. A known bondage is more comfortable than an unknown freedom. Do you catch what's being thrown here? Like that means that we'd rather stay in our known bondage than have uh, than than even consider the thoughts of freedom and what it means to live in our life with all of its fullness. Have you ever asked yourself what keeps you from changing? Maybe it's the thought of failure. Perhaps you have unsuccessfully tried to change something in the past, but, and perhaps you achieved a change for a period of time, but then fallen back into your old patterns. You know what I'm talking about. We all do. When we let our past or our present failure for, keep us from changing, we are then you know, choosing a known bondage than rather uh, going and getting what God has for us. We fall back on it. And so what do you need to change? That's really the first question. What do you need to change spiritually? What do you need to change relationally? What do you need to change emotionally? Or here's another one. Who do you need to forgive? What has God been talking to you about? Because you know, it's like you have this constant voice or something's just going on in your heart. You know God's speaking to you. What has he convicted you about time and time and time again? A known bondage, right? Is what? More comfortable. When we talk about personal life change, we tend to always uh, uh, evaluate our own lives through our own rose-colored glasses, don't we? We dismiss the things that we know we need to change because, well, you know what, Jerry? I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex, you know. Well, let me tell you, addiction is addiction. Whether it's meth or work, it's still an addiction. 
You know, it's all the same in God's eyes. If anything takes our attention away from God, becomes all-consuming, it steals our joy, our freedom, our abundant life, then it's wrong and it needs to be changed. Is there something that needs to be changed in your life? And you may have a lot of reasons for not making any changes, and that's fine and in one or, or many areas of your life, but I bet that one of them is that you lack the belief that change is even possible. Ouch! Do you hear how quiet it is here? <laughs> it's quiet. And if that's you, my encouragement to you is this. You need to keep pressing forward. That you don't give up. That you keep right on fighting. That sometimes our belief in ourselves and in God grows stronger when we are stretched beyond what we think that we can endure or even accomplish. My prayer for you is that you will experience power within you to change because God's word is true. My prayer is that you will know the things that you can't change and the things that you can. Some of it is just the way maybe we're, we're you know, you talk funny. Okay, that's fine. That's, I, I'm not here to change that. But maybe my attitude and the way I communicate, I can work. You know, there are things. Maybe controlling my temper. Maybe controlling what comes out of my mouth. The words that I use. You know, maybe I can be more uplifting as opposed to being negative. Maybe my thought life, right? Maybe the way that it, the list goes on. More importantly, my hope is that you will change before you have to and not because you have to. And those are two very different things. Changing before we have to and not because we have to. Um, in the South Pacific, I used this illustration a while ago. I had to dig it up again where, where monkey, is, uh, monkey meat is the, the delicacy of the island. And the islanders would show foreigners how they would capture monkeys. And what they do is they take a jar and they put an uh, apple into this jar. And the apple would just fit through the hole. And then they would tie a rope around the jar and then tie the other end of the rope to the tree. And then they would wait patiently for the monkeys to show up. And, of course, eventually a monkey will come along and look at the jar and see the apple. And they will reach in and they'll grab it. And then the monkey's hand is compressed around the apple and they can't pull it out of the jar. Right? And, and now the monkey is in a predicament because it refuses to let go of the apple. And the monkey was, in effect, tied now to the tree by the rope that's tied to the jar. And he's holding on to the apple. And what happens? Well, pretty soon, because he refuses to let go of the apple, he's monkey stew. And that's how it happens. Now, when you think about it, was the monkey too stubborn or too stupid? Is it too stubborn or too stupid to let go of the apple and be free? And, and, and you know what? It doesn't really matter what the answer to the question is. It's the same result. It's a dead monkey. It doesn't really matter. Now, the real question is, did the monkey have the apple or did the apple have the monkey? Look, at in our lives, there are so many things that bind us. And as long as we hold on to them, their power continues over us. It's only by letting go that we become free. So what's making a monkey out of you? <laughs> Think about it. There are so many things that bind us, right? So knowing you need to change, work with me people, this is, this is life application. Knowing you need to change but not knowing that next step, right? We've been there. Became, become a very overwhelming place to be. 
When you know you can't stay the same, you're left with only one decision. Adjust to a more sustainable, healthy lifestyle or expect more of the same. And the reason I believe that we don't attempt change in our lives is because we don't feel that we're strong enough to do it or we don't have the confident, uh, confidence in our own ability to get to the other side of change successfully. Let me say you can do it with some help. How many of us never change? Because why? We're afraid to look stupid. My wife was so proud of me yesterday. I went shopping without her. Watch out, RW, I was there. I know my size, and I bought stuff I was not comfortable with. And I said to the lady when I paid for it, if my wife doesn't like it, can I bring it back? <laughs> to which she said yes. So I brought all the items, and I presented it to my wife. I said, my dear, I have bought this for me upon your approval, and before you look at it, I can still take it back. Score! Nothing goes back, and I am so out of my comfort zone. But that's just the way it is, right? You know, you, you can change. I'm, I, 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 you've changed me. I used to live in sweats. That, I was just, that was just it. I'm wearing white pants now. I'm rocking the, the, the youthful look and rolling up my, like I have it. Skinny jeans on a fat guy. Here we go. It's just there. You know, we, 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 sometimes we're afraid to look stupid. We really are. We fear what other people won't understand our need to change, or maybe other people will disagree with our decision to change. But deep down, we need to change. And so we fear that. And these thoughts, these questions, these fears in our life are actually something that's normal. And any time that we try new things, it feels awkward. Maybe it's the first kiss. Right? It's awkward. Get that picture out of your mind. Right? It's just, or that first solo drive when you first got your license and your parents aren't with you. It's awkward, right? Sorry, I just had a flashback of what a kid, she just got her license and she T-boned me at the intersection on Chevrolet and Dover Court, went right through the stop sign, hit my back into my car. <sighs> what do you do, you know? The poor girl, she's just in tears. I said, look, just pull over, follow me. Get all the details. Are you okay? Yeah, we're okay, fine. Mother phones me up. I thought, oh, I'm going to get blasted. Here we go. Oh, I just want to thank you for being so nice to my daughter. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, I hope she loses her license, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, we need to change ourselves. And, and so whether it's something, uh, like, like I said, like it's the first kiss or a solo car drive. Uh, in my notes, I go, your first marriage night. You know, new things are awkward. Just putting it out there, and that's okay. It's not a reason not to make the change. It just means that change requires that we find a new normal. What's our new normal? And the good news is, is that there's a way to make changes that you want in your life and to beginning a life of abundance. This is what I love. This is the scripture. A life of passion, a life of satisfaction, and a life of freedom. No freedom. And it's possible, and I, I believe that God wants you to exper experience life in all his fullness. Even if you're not a Christian, I have to say this, and I make no apologies for this statement. For change to be possible in your life, you need to have faith. 
You do. That's what makes change possible because without faith, you won't have the power to create any, any type of lasting change. And that, that necessary faith is only available through God's grace. And how do we do that? We hold on to his teachings. Well, what does that mean? It means we need to get into the scriptures. And sometimes it's easier to see the need for others to change, right? Before we recognize the need to change in our own lives. Oh, man, listen to him preaching. You're nudging your spouse or your, your friend. You go, hey, you need to listen. No, you need to listen to this. It's so much more easier for us to point fingers. Areas in our lives where we might need to change may, might be your physical, right? Maybe it's your health. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe it's your financial. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your spiritual. The, this is a, a constant spiritual current. Look at that's constantly working on you and I to pull uh, you and I away from God. In other words, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, as I preached before, we're constantly moving forward. We're constantly going against something. We should be constantly changing. That should be part of our walk, our spiritual walk. You want to know freedom? Start changing. Well, what is it that I need to change? I think you know. I think you know the struggles. I think you know the issues. I think you know the monkeys on your back. And God speaks to us constantly. And we need to live life to the fullest people. That, again, with abundance, satisfaction, passion, freedom. But that change always has to be in the mix for us. And we often know that we need change, but we're not really sure where we have to give up. You know, and we're not comfortable giving up with what's familiar for that great unknown. Excuse me. You know, introducing change in our lives means that we have to be open to new things. Right across the board. Change causes us to establish a new normal. And that's very often in contrast to what we're familiar with. To what we're comfortable with. And whatever change you want to make, it begins with letting go of the familiar. Letting go of what you find comfortable. And choosing to respond to it in a new way. And that's not easy. And yet there's this good news that we can be liberated, that we can know freedom. We can be free. It starts, again, by holding on to his teachings and the recognition that we are unable to do anything that pleases God. Our, our works are, are, are like dung, according to Paul. God just wants to release us. It's not about works. He wants to release us from the bondage of our sin by confessing and finding forgiveness is the first start. And it comes then in learning the truth. We see that in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand free before God when we just come before him and ask him for forgiveness. It's just, it's just the freedom. Jesus sets us free. And we can clearly begin to recognize the truth. We're free to rise above our sin. We're free to live a holy life. We're free to finally choose what's right. We're free to choose what's best. We're free to keep growing. That should be exciting. That should be something that's resonating in us. We're free to reach that potential for which God has designed for you. He's got that plan. You're free to reach it. And what's so interesting is that when you're enlightened by God's spirit, we actually begin to recognize the the truth. You begin to see the world in a different way. You begin to see the world through God's eyes and how you can be a part of it. And that's, you know, knowing your purpose. You know, I don't think there's anything that we value more than freedom. You know, let's, we, we say we enjoy political freedom, but we fail to appreciate its blessings, right? You know, we want to be free of government interference. I don't want to pay my taxes, right? But... <laughs> We don't want to be free of our government benefits. 
We want to have free love, which means sexual immorality, right? Even going so far as perversion. We want to be free thinkers, which means we cast aside much of the wisdom of the past. Our lessons from history, they don't matter anymore. We're, we're new thinkers. We, we want nobody to uh, refuse us the right to publish and to purchase anything we want without restriction, right? We want free trade, so to speak. We desperately want to have our own free will, you know, to be masters of our own souls, captains of our own fate. You're not the boss of me, as usually somebody this high would say to us, yet so many reject the idea of a sovereign God who we sang about, who knows all, who is in absolute control of all things. We don't want to think of ourselves as slaves to God. No, no, no. But we like to think of God as our servant who's there to meet our needs as we define to him what they are. Thank you. I was waiting for something. Anything scripture teaches that in any way challenges our concept of freedom, you and I are actually inclined to reject it. That's ouch. Just like the Jews rejected the words of Jesus. The irony of all this is that as free as we think we are, men, women, and children have never been more enslaved in our culture today. You know, we have our, one of our most prominent words in our pop psychology is this word addiction, right? We see my strange addictions on TV, right? Eating deodorant or nails, glass, whatever, hoarders, other stuff. Uh, my 600-pound life, our addiction to food. Why? Because there's stuff that's going on deeper inside. It's just one way that we, exp you know, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And so people are not only just addicted to drugs and alcohol, to tobacco, to relationships, to sex, to food, to plastic surgery, to working out, to tanning, to the Internet, to the email, to our phones, to call of duty. When somebody takes first place in our lives over God, there's a problem. And I think we're actually better off calling these things by their biblical name, slavery to sin. And today there are still some chains that we have to deal with, chains that need to set us free in our own lives. And you see there's this enemy, this evil one, who according to scripture sort of hovers over this earth and desires to have us in bondage, to have us in change, not to experience freedom, the desire to see you become other than what God has actually created you to be. Somebody in his image, male or female, it doesn't matter because that's his image. And this enemy wants to trap and to change you and to be your slave owner. And so we need to encounter the son. We need to encounter Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who sets us free. Now that's good news. So what are your chains? Because we're not all little angels. I see no halos and I see no wings. What are your chains? Now this is not audience participation time. This is like, you know, rhetorical question. Think on your own. I can do the Catholic confession booth if you want. We can do that later on. But what are your chains? What are the things that bind and trap you and keep you from really pursuing God's purpose in your life? We want people to know freedom, right? What are the things that bind you, that keep you from being that success story that God really wants you to be? And I'm not talking, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. No, he has put you in a position. Be successful, be faithful where he has put you. It doesn't matter if you're ever in the top one, one little tiny percent. Just 
Be successful where you are. What does that mean then? You see, if the sun sets you free, you are really free. And we live in a society where everybody is trying to get freedom, to get past our pain, to get past our hurt. And so what do we do? And no disrespect to this because my wife's a therapist. But what do we do? We go to counselors. We go to therapy. But we also watch these commercials on TV about the psychic hotline. Or we watch Oprah or somebody else trying to find the spirit within us. And, but you will not find true freedom unless we encounter Jesus, the Son of God. And if you want to really be free, and I mean free indeed, we need to take it seriously. We need to encounter Jesus. And if the Son of God, according to Jesus, sets you free, you are really free. You are free indeed. And, and Scripture is filled with these crazy paradoxes of Christianity. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? <coughs> Sorry. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you've got to be the servant of all. And again, in our passage that we're sort of dealing with, if you really want to truly be free, you have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. As his disciple. And doing what? Placing yourself under his teachings. And you need to know that being set free is also a process. But more than just a process, it's, it's a hard issue. You know, if I was to give you an outline of what we need to do, I'd just say, first of all, we need to have a humble heart. We all do. And it catches God's attention when we humble ourselves. Scripture's filled with different passages. I just put one up. But once we humble ourselves, then we need to, t we need to act. You need to take that next step. Not procrastinate, but we need to act. And if God is speaking into your heart, even this morning, about what needs to be changed, you need to act on that. That's him speaking to you. It's not a suggestion. You do it now. You're like, hear me carefully. Monday diets don't work. I'll, I'll start Monday. Right? Tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow. Right? I'm going to take that self-day. That self-day never comes around, does it? Change is inherent to life, but often we work very hard to avoid change at all costs. And the only path to something different includes change. You want something different in your life, it means we need to change. Don't be a casualty of the change that you refuse to make. Change. Are you in chains? Do you need freedom? Then we need to change. And if you wait, and if you wait, and if you wait, what you do is you give yourself permission to live in the mess you're living in. Don't give yourself permission to stay there. No, because God has so much more for you. We have to have a responsive heart because look at each and every one of us is resistant to change. Even the change that they know we need to make, we, we are resistant to it. It's just the way that we're hardwired. Um, some of us avoid change because, like I said earlier, is because of fear. We'd rather deal with what we know, with what we're familiar with, than struggle through and endure change in our lives. Because change is a lot of hard work. And there's no way around you, but I can assure you that, that the energy that we use to avoid changing is much more, if not more, than the energy that's actually needed to change, which leads to all freedom. And it's a beautiful place to be in. You know, last week I did a water illustration. If uh, you missed it, oh man, that was a good one. You should have been there. 
I know I'll pray for the salvation of your soul. But uh, I want to give you another water illustration today. When we read in the scripture, you cannot help but see uh, all the different allusions that scripture makes to water, as water bringing life. And it's throughout the entire Bible. And uh, um, now you've got to remember, in uh, ancient culture, Israeli culture, where were they? They were in a desert. So um, water was even more meaningful for them. We take water for granted. Remember Eric, Samuel, Tim started counting out how many freshwater faucets we have in our house, and yet in some third world countries, people are walking for hours to one faucet, right? So we take water for granted in our culture. We don't even think twice about it. But uh, people in the desert in the Old Testament times, they cherished water, obviously, right? There was oasis and other things. They, they uh, would store it. They wouldn't let a precious drop of water fall onto the ground. They would store it in their cup. It was their precious, right? This was their precious. And so if God's going to speak to us, remember I used this as an analogy last week, and he's going to speak to us. We need a heart that's ready and receptive, that's open much like this glass. And when God speaks to us and we hold on to his teachings, we don't allow one drop of water to hit the ground at all. Are you tracking with me on this? If he's going to speak to us, we need to have this heart that is ready, that is receptive, that is open like this glass. And we need to collect what God is saying to us. We need to store it. We need to hold on to it. We need to treasure it. That's the reading of the scriptures. That is making that time. That is letting the scriptures pour into us. We are to live the preciousness, if I can put it that way. And so we hold on to the water tightly. And I maintain that God speaks to us in every day. I do. Not in this audible voice, but sometimes it's through other people. Sometimes it's through when we're reading his word. It speaks to us. Sometimes it's even through... He speaks to our hearts. He, he, you know when the Holy Spirit is convicting us or speaking us to do something. And sometimes it seems really weird and crazy. But, you know, maybe that's a course I have to do for a school of ministry is listening to the voice of God, hearing the voice of God, right? But we're to hold on to this. And I maintain that God comes into our life. He speaks to us on a daily level. And many times, though, in our society, even here at Seoul, we're just nonchalant. We're actually clueless to the things of God. We go to church. That's why, yeah, I do, I do that on Sunday. I go to church, cool thing. Yeah, they have a band. They do coffee. Yeah, that church, that's coffee right in the middle. I don't know. And, and, and he speaks to us, but our hearts, and God is constantly speaking to us like he is even this morning, but our hearts are not responsive. And, and, and we're frivolous, and we're, we're not giving him the attention he deserves. You know, he's ready to whisper, but we're just not listening. And as a matter of fact, we're just sort of frivolous, right? And you know, we, we, we don't take it. You know, God, you're speaking to me. Oh, that's, that, 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 what, what, what? Oh, you know what, God, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. You know, oh, you know what, God, I'll see if I want to do that. I'll see if I, you know, I don't know if I agree where, you know, Jerry's going with all of this. And we don't hold on to his words, and we don't stay refreshed. Instead, we end up becoming dry and empty. How many of us feel dry and empty? And I'd venture to say, more often than not, many of us in this room feel that almost all the time. 
We need to have a responsive heart. Again, Scripture is beautiful. A responsive heart is pliable. It is moldable. And God can, can move, move on it. This is clay. Not plasticine, not Play-Doh, but it's clay. And this clay represents our heart. And when you're true to yourself and you begin to hold on to his teachings, you see that God, this is actually what God begins to do to our hearts. Now, I'm not an artist. I don't need your critique. But I think you get the understanding that molding our hearts takes effort and work, not on our part, but on God's part. Our part is to be responsive, to move to his leading, to his needing. Are you with me? And yet the Bible tells us when you uh, look at it that we have a hard heart. And, you know, usually we use stone illustrations. Oh, we got a heart like a stone. You know, here it is. Um, no. We have a heart like a stone. Ezekiel's interesting. Ezekiel says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I love it. You see that? And what does he do? And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And what does he do? He molds you. If you want freedom, it starts here. It starts with us being soft. It starts with us being pliable. It starts with us being humble. And it starts with us acting and not waiting. It starts with us aggressively going after God and asking God to soften our heart. But what happens if I leave clay out for a while? What's going to happen? It's going to get hard and crusty, right? Crusty. Um, some of us are crusty. Maybe you had a heart, soft heart a while back, but you stopped responding to the voice of God and you've let things get into the way and your heart has become crusty and even hard like a stone over time, right? And I believe that God will help you break off that crust and get back into being responsive and pliable. And sometimes, what does the potter have to do to the clay? What does he do? He adds water, right? And if we remember the analogy from last week, the water is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so God, the potter, adds water to the clay, adds his Holy Spirit in our lives, and he gets rid of that crust, and he begins to make you pliable. Now, 2 Corinthians, if you guys want to start playing, 2 Corinthians 3.17 has a beautiful, powerful line. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, now, now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So, I conclude with this. Do you need freedom in your hectic life? Do you feel chained? Do you feel chained and bound? Do you feel trapped? 
Then, my encouragement to you today is that you need a lifestyle of daily, daily, daily approaching the Son and the Spirit of God, holding on to His teachings. How do you hold on to teachings if you don't read them? Holding on to His teachings. And as we approach the Son and the Spirit of God, because where the Spirit is, there is God. We sang about that with that song here now. And maybe you're struggling with something. And maybe it's hard in an area of your life. But you need to get where the Lord is. And once you get there, you need to get the Spirit in you. You need to ask Him to come in you, to fill you all around you, so that when you go out, on the, out in this world, that the Spirit of God is, is, is on you, is in you, is around you, is working on you, is healing you, is giving you power. This is all scriptural. And you can be in your car, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to be there. You can be at your job and the Spirit of the Lord is going to be there. You can be on vacation, but where you are, the Spirit of the Lord is going to be there because He is there. And I know when the enemy tries to attack you and try to trick you and tries to mess you up, you're going to be okay because the Spirit of the Lord is there. And where the Lord is Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, what is there as well? There's freedom. And our message to the world around us and to us alone as well as not alone, but as well, is that there is freedom, that there is liberty in our faith, that there is joy where the Spirit of the Lord is. Creator God, we cannot begin to imagine all that you are or all that you have done for us. Each day is a new chance, a chance to put behind all that we were and to look ahead to all that we can be. So Father, maybe it's time I stop trying to put everything into your hands and, and almost maybe use the two that you've given me. Take initiative. God, I, I just thank you for the blessings in my life. God, forgive me for complaining and grumbling about the things that I don't have. Help me to focus my heart on what is good about my life and what you've done. And I know that all things come from you and, and you will take what is good and what is bad and you will make them work uh, to know that you'll make them work together and I don't know how you do it, but you do. But God, my prayer, my prayer for our community is that you just help us to believe when it's hard, that you'd help us to trust when it's difficult, that you'd help us to see that you are guiding us every step of the way. And God, our desire is that this place is not just a place of refuge, but a place where you would meet us in our weakness because the Spirit, you are the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Lord, may there be freedom here. May people sense your freedom here. And I pray for those who are caring about unspeakable pain and that they are driven by forces that they could just, they can't even begin to name. I ask that this morning they'd be able to take one step into freedom, into wholeness, one step into healing today. And maybe it's deciding to go into counseling. Maybe it's opening their heart up to you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe it's spending time with a friend. May we be type of church that gives life to those around us. May people know that they could come here and find and experience freedom. So God, my prayer is that you would move in this place. Move in our lives. Move in our hearts and convict us to show us the things that we haven't seen before. And I don't know what speaks to you this morning. I, I have no clue every Sunday. I walk away going, the people get what I'm throwing? 
but I can just tell you what my passion is. My passion is that we transform our city and the world in which you find yourself. And that God uses you, your talents, your abilities, that you understand that you're created in the image of God. And he has a purpose and a plan for you to make a difference in the world. And that this place should be filled with people experiencing God and worshiping him together. I, I kid you not. But I want you, I desire for you, my prayer for you is that you experience his freedom. That you experience an encounter with the Holy Spirit in a way that you've never had before. That becomes life transforming. And you don't wait. You don't wait till you're 50, 60, or 70 years of age, young people. And if you're in that 50, 60, 70 years of age, it's not too late. Can we sing this song? What time is it? My watch is stopped. I'm going to take two more, a few more minutes of your time. Oh, gosh, I don't remember the last time I did this. I'm going to go Pentecostal on you guys. Is that all right? Without the, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to ask whoever is wanting more freedom wanting a supernatural encounter with God that you would take the first step humble yourself and just simply come and stand here and this is all we're going to do by you making that movement by coming up here by closing yourself off the band's going to sing this song you'll do that refrain two more times that's it that you and God, there's a whole fashion altar call. Like there's nothing really significant, but it's actually a response to your own heart going, I, need, I just need to be free of something. I need God's freedom. I need God's spirit. I need more God on my life. I need to put him first. I need a hunger for his, whatever it is, nobody cares. But I just want to be open. If that's what's going on in your heart, then I want you to just come, stand here. It's between you and God and not me. The band's going to lead us in two more of these courses, the course two more times. I'm going to finish off with my prayer. I'll give the blessing and you're gone. But just come and be responsive because I feel I need to throw this out to you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would minister to our spirits at this very moment. I know that you are. And God, where there is pain, give us your peace and mercy. Where there is self-doubt and self-loathing, God, release a renewed confidence in your ability to work through us. Where there is tiredness or exhaustion, God, I would ask that you'd give us an understanding and patience and strength as we learn submission to your leading. And where there's spiritual stagnation, I ask, God, that you would renew us by revealing your nearness, by drawing us into a greater intimacy with you. And where there is fear, God, I pray that you would reveal your love and release to us your courage. And where there's sin blocking us, God, reveal it. May we find forgiveness May it, we break its hold over our lives, God, by the power of your spirit. And finally, God, give us a greater vision than just for ourselves. Raise up leaders. Raise up friends to support and to encourage us. And may we be those friends who support and encourage others, I pray. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. Oh, soul sanctuary, 
you are his servants. And this week, may God show you where he wants you to go. May he send you with enthusiasm when you don't feel enthusiastic. May he send you patience when you have run out of it. May he send you large shoulders to lean on and to cry on when you need it. May he send you ears to hear the things that are not being said. May he send you eyes to see beneath the surface. May he send you words to say when the questions are hard. But soul, may he point the direction of the way that you should go. And may you go according to his leading. Now be blessed and live the church. And if you're in growth tracks, be blessed as well. And we'll see you next week.